Yeah, maybe they turn them up just a little more, just a little brighter. <laughs> Saw that coming. Yeah, I almost wore my sunglasses up here. It's brutal. <sighs> the last thing Crystal told me before I left this morning. Thanks for your note. Yes. <laughs> Did she call you guys? <laughs> yeah. Then I went back to the video team and said, you guys are awesome. Do great. Stick to your notes. <sighs> so, here we go. Welcome, all you hunting widows. This morning, bless you. Thank you for being faithful in spite of your husbands. Because I haven't received any sausage. <laughs> I have a note written here to thank Dino and Jim and team for putting together these um, Christmas devotion videos. I think we'll have one each week, right? Instagram only or no? We're going to. Just Instagram only after that one. Only Marco gets like, you know, public broadcast. The rest of us is like, yeah, we'll stick them on an unknown Instagram channel. Um, every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. Oh, every Wednesday. Oh, this is kind of like being like a Netflix special. Every Wednesday, a new one drops at 8 p.m. Yeah, good luck finding that channel. Oh, and YouTube. Okay. Super. Thanks, guys. Welcome to Advent at Hope Rock. Um, yeah, I, I love Advent. I love, because I love Christmas and people I used to work with in this secular study abroad company, they would always give me grief because, I mean, November hits and I'm playing Christmas music and they'd be like, it's not Thanksgiving yet. You can't play Christmas music. And I'll be like, yeah, I can. I'm the director. I can play what I want to. <laughs> and um, so I love Christmas. So my Christmas lights were up by Halloween. I'm like, come on. Let's go. Um, there's only one thing I hate about this season. And that's any type of Hallmarky Christmas movie. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, where big hunky man who chops wood in a small town meets super hot babe who's a corporate climber from New York City and changes her to love Christmas again and they live happily ever after for at least a year or two. Yeah, he's always rich in the end even though he looks poor at the beginning. It's like, how many of those are we going to... In fact, Crystal turned one on this week, and after 10 minutes, I was, I'm out. I peaced out. Yeah. Give me Elf, people. Give me Elf for Christmas. Okay. Uh, have you ever felt like God was silent for a long time? Yeah. I mean, I have. Certainly, y'all have too. Um, our Christmas... Advent scripture um, 
promise from God given 700 years before it was fulfilled. I'm pretty sure none of y'all have waited 700 years for anything, right? Um, you know, we get really impatient after three minutes, right? I mean, I was praying, Lord Jesus, please help me right now. Give me patience. You know, that's kind of how we, that's how we go. Um, but 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah prophesied the Messiah, Messiah would come. And they had their ideas of what Messiah would be. They expected him to be a military conqueror and ruler. You know, um, set up the kingdom that they had in their mind. Um, but still, 700 years um, kind of gives new meaning to the phrase slower than Christmas. Don't it? You know, I can remember some Christmases that took a long time to go. Uh, and then I got to thinking, okay, what can change in 700 years? So then I had to go back to the 1300s just to see, because that's what was happening. I mean, think about 700 years ago was the 1300s. Yeah. The population of the world was about equal to the current population of the United States. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. I was like, wow. And then a bunch of them <laughs> were about 25 to 50 million of them were killed by the Black Death. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Um, 40 to 60% of the population of Europe took them a long time to recover. Also, over about 700 years ago, John Wycliffe, I know, he's your favorite guy. You probably got pictures of him up in your house. You're like, no. He's the guy who first completed the first English version of the Bible. Translated the first English version of the Bible. Got him in real trouble with a whole lot of religious people. Um, and they would have burned him at the stake had he not died before they got to him. So instead they dug up his body and burned his bones. That's how much they hated the fact, these religious people hated the fact that you had a Bible that you could read. It's terrible. So, um, but it's the Word of God, the Bible tells us, is what births faith in us, right? And, uh, and so for 700 years, um, there have been communities that have had the Bible in their language because of guys like, John Wycliffe, 700 years ago. So today's, the verse, I have a million of them, but Isaiah 9 is our foundation verse, and I'll read part of it because we always skip several verses because who reads those? Um, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone, which of course takes my immediately to John 1. I can't not go there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you hear John referring back to Isaiah 9 and... Uh, and then later, Matthew will, Mark will, they all do. Um, it's pretty awesome. But 
Then we move on down. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's the one you put on your wall. You know, you don't hang on your wall scripture that says, every boot for the trampling warrior, the battle tumult, garments rolled in blood. No, we don't, we don't put that on the wall at Christmas. We skip next to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. Think about that, of the increase of his government and of his peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's 700 years prior he's mm, saying this. And then he ends it with this one. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We can skip that one, but we won't. Um, because that one to me is remarkable. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They waited 700 years to watch the zeal of the Lord of hosts do it, but he did it. Without the zeal of the Lord of hosts, guys, we won't have Christmas. The zeal of the Lord. And if you don't, zeal's not a word that we use often, right? You know, I mean, who goes around saying, you know, I'm feeling very zealous today for tacos or barbecue or hunting. Apparently, some are zealous for hunting, um, you know, and I won't tell you about my first hunting experience, my only, um, maybe someday. But zeal is a word that it's just like, mm, yeah, can't wait to do this, and nothing's going to stop me from doing it. The zeal, that's, zeal's good stuff. Um, so this prophecy, it, it's a really big deal for faith and hope to Israel, and to Matthew, who connected that prophecy directly to the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew 4, 12 to 17, he writes, Now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, mind you, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun, the land of Natale, da 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 um, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of shadow of death, on them light has dawned. And then he adds, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I was laying those two verses out side by side, and I was like, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then Jesus comes and says, repent, because the kingdom is at hand. In other words, repent, because the fulfillment of this 700-year wait is now. Here it goes. And so Jesus starts this. The light dawns, and boom, here he goes. It's pretty amazing. And so then I was like, okay, I'm trying to imagine Matthew. Of course, now, thanks to the television, whatever series you want to call that, The Chosen, you know, now I have this view of Matthew. <laughs> if, you've, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. He's a really awkward, weird dude. Um, and I'm just like, ah. But I'm imagining Matthew writing these words, prophecy that he had been taught his whole life, Right? 
And now he writes it down that Jesus went and did this. He went over here and lived there to fulfill the prophecy that I have heard all my life. And he's writing that down, and I'm thinking, what was that about? What would that have been like to be sitting there going, 700 years. This is it right here. This is now. The advent has come. Boom. We're talking about Matthew, mind you, who was a traitorous tax collector, which means everybody that he called his people, Israel, hated him because he was out taking their money, skimming what he wanted off the top, giving the rest to the Romans. And they all looked at him like, dude, all you care about is taking care of yourself. He was the ultimate take care of yourself guy because nobody else will, right? He's part of a culture that heard of the coming Messiah, but wondered if, they would ever, if he would ever come and free them. And then they looked at him as, you're part of the oppressor class. You're part of the oppressors. You're the guy. And they all would look at him as like, you represent everything bad with these guys, the Romans. That was Matthew, who's now writing down, here comes the Prince of Peace. Here comes the Wonderful Counselor. Here comes the guy that we've been waiting for. So imagine this, you know, imagine, I mean, Matthew obviously had lost hope that the Messiah was come. That's why he's like, well, whatever, I guess I might as well make a buck, right? That's Matthew, gonna make a buck now since Jesus hasn't shown up. Um, I don't know. And then he gets transformed because Jesus walks by and says, you there, just come follow me. And when Jesus does that to you, it will change who you are. It doesn't matter what you've been waiting for, how long you've wondered if Jesus would ever show up in your life. Mm. But when he does, you'd be like, oh, wow, that'll change everything. It did for Matthew. Mm. What was it like to write down that and then to write, Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here. He said, that's what we've been waiting for, Christmas. Yeah, he's writing Advent down, man. He's like, "Mm, this is good. Um, Yeah, the light that we've been waiting for has come. Finally, God said, now is the time. You know, I sit at my house with Alexa. Like, Alexa, turn on the Christmas lights. You know, and I'm feeling really powerful. Right? (laughs) Alexa, turn the lights to 50%. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm super awesome. And then I think God said, "Mm, Jesus, now it's time to be born and fulfill 700 years of prophecy. Mm, That's Christmas, guys. Imagine Matthew was there when the light dawned and he ate dinner with the light. He walked with the light. He lived with the light of the gospel and he heard him say, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Mm. I can only imagine that Matthew, who had lost hope so much so that he said, might as well make a buck. His faith must have swelled to unimaginable I mean, it swelled, we know it swelled big enough that he was like, I will die for this guy. 
Instead of rip off my friends, I will now die for the Messiah who we've been waiting for for 700 years. God can cause your faith to swell like Matthew's. That's why I love Christmas and Advent, because it just makes us remember, right? It's good stuff. You got two options, guys, for looking at the future. Two ways. They're cousins, kind of like Jesus and John the Baptist. They were cousins. It's not quite the same, but uh, really, that's not in the notes, so mm, stick to the notes. Fear and faith. Fear and faith. They're related because they're both how you look at the future. Right? Uh, And we spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to control outcomes. You know? And we have trouble sleeping at night because of it. We, We either orient our life by fear or we orient it by faith. I mean, everything, every decision you make, seriously. I mean, either you're doing it by faith or you're doing it by, I've got to control something out there for the future. You know, you're thinking about it. I mean, your career decisions, your marriage decisions, your school decisions, you know, we've got to do this for our kids so that he can have a better future. And it's like, okay, well, that's cool. You know, we're afraid that their future might, yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but it's, it's difficult when you start digging down into yourself and go, am I operating in faith or fear? You know? I can tell you how I know when I'm operating in fear. It's super simple for me. I don't know about you, but for me, when something happens and my immediate response is anger, it's because of fear. Fear always precedes anger. It does, because you're afraid of something. And so I just know that when I get, then I know, dang, there I go again. Faith, 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 faith. Um, So... My family and my cousins back in the 70s, we went camping a lot, which was totally fun and loved it. And we'd go up to Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. If you've ever been there, it's an amazing, beautiful lake. And uh, so, I don't know, I think I was 12-ish, something like that. And uh, me and my, my uncle had built his own sailboat which if you saw it hanging in the shed, you would not think it was a sailboat. I mean, but it was, and it would have fit up here. It wasn't, it seemed really large when I was 12, but now, you know, I look back and I've seen it hanging. Well, actually all that's left now is the keel because <laughs> um, it rotted. But, but he built this sailboat and he had it at the lake. And so me and my cousins, you know, in our grand wisdom and decided that we're going to take the sailboat without the sail Um, because we didn't know how to do that. But we got some paddles and we decided that we're going to paddle across the lake to that island because that's where we're going to find the best firewood for our camp. Yeah, and so we did. I'm not sure if we told our parents what we were doing. I honestly don't remember ever telling my parents that I was doing anything, and I'm pretty sure they don't know a lot of what I did. Um, But here we go, me and some of my cousins, about four of us, and off we go across the lake. 
I'm sure we had life jackets. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't remember um, because the sailboat was orange and those were orange. So we might've had some, I don't know, but we got across. And about the time we got across, before we found any firewood, um, this thing that you don't really want to hear on a lake called thunder. Oh, yeah. Thunder. Thunder starts booming and rain and is pouring and lightning and thunder and thunder and rain. And we're like, we've got to get back. And so we're, ah, ah, and we're just paddling across the lake. And, and so, you know, I rem uh, only thing I remember from that was I know we paddled hard. And at one point I told my cousin, I said, you just hold on to the steering thingy and you steer us and we'll just ah, and paddle. And we, we did. And we got back across and I don't know if our parents met us or not on the shore. I know we made it and got to our tent only to find out that being master campers, my cousins and I had set up our tent incorrectly on a hill facing the mouth facing up the hill and it was full of water. So that was, that was my um, super amazing camping lake on a boat in a storm experience. But we have another one in the Bible. Yeah. If you've ever been afraid, um, sometimes it's not hard to, it's hard not to be afraid sometimes in certain cir circumstances, you know, and desperate circumstances require the calmness of Jesus. I mean, it's our only hope, right? And so here's Mark retelling this story of the disciples in a boat and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. I mean, I was just, just gotta let that sink in for a minute and go, they're in a boat and it's already filling in a storm on a lake with guys who were amazing, you know, lake people, fisher guys, yeah. Not 12 year olds in a homemade sailboat without a sail and some paddles. So it says, but he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion, which is why we have our pillows here for those of you that need to go to sleep, Mark, <laughs> right there, asleep on the cushion. Hopefully you'll never look at a Christmas cushion the same and think only of Jesus after this is done. Uh, and they woke him, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him. And I'm thinking, who sleeps in a storm in a boat that is getting swamped and has to be awakened? <laughs> Only Jesus, apparently, or small infant children, <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I've seen little babies just sleep through everything. And then I thought, oh, wow, little babies sleep through everything because they have complete, they have no control over anything and know that somehow their parents are taking care of them, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, so here he is. They said this, and this is what you do, except for me. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They woke him up 
and said, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke. What was the only thing that woke Jesus? Was the cry of his people. Not some stupid storm, right? Like whatever. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased. And there was great calm. Mm. You need any great calm this Christmas? Anyone? Thank you, Ryan. I knew you did, but anybody else? (laughs) Yeah, we need great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? The author of faith was asleep on a cushion in the boat. And the first thing he does is rebuke the circumstance and said, why are you still afraid? Why are you so afraid? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'm trying to picture that whole scene I mean, I really do. My mind starts going crazy, and I'm thinking, here's a sailboat big enough for at least 12 people. So it's a pretty good-sized fishing boat that these guys row, row, row your boat. And here they were, Jesus in the back of the boat, laying on a cushion, mm, having a nice sleep, storm, waves crashing. Then he wakes up and says, and they, and then they look, And I'm thinking, you know, he's sitting at the back of the boat on this cushion, and it says, they started saying to one another, who then is this? So I'm guessing they kind of like moved to the front of the boat, and like, yeah, okay. You know, they're huddling up and going, you know, and and Jesus is back there saying, "Mm, come on. The light of the world was in the boat asleep on a cushion but they really didn't know him because they had their own idea of who Jesus was based on their own ideas, expectations, their experience, their culture, right? But did they really know him? And sometimes, guys, we think that what we know is enough, but I promise you, he will take you in a storm just to show you. Because what you need more then him to calm a storm is to be in a storm and see him calm a storm. Because what we need more than anything this Advent is to see who Jesus really is. More than sweet baby Jesus in a little manger, right? We really do need to see him. Uh, and Jesus, he's very clear that, the, that faith is the antithesis, the opposite of fear, Then we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who faced an unimaginable future as a result of an angel showing up. Okay, I mean, that'll make you afraid, right? Telling her, hey, guess what? Um, Hey, unmarried young maiden who is engaged, you're about to have a baby, and it's not anybody's but God's. And she's like, okay, all right, I'm going to be pregnant and everybody's going to look at me and my culture and tell me that I 
am horrible. Nobody's going to want to marry me. Who will take care of me? There, will, there was no welfare. And so here she is facing an unimaginably uncertain future because God came and said, hey, guess what? Jesus is about to be part of you, part of your life. You're going to give birth to him. And uh, her response was this. Not fear, but faith. Luke one thirty eight. she said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to do, but just go, Wow, that 15-year-old girl facing unimaginable future said, Let it be to me according to your word. Oh, if only that was our heart for Christmas. And the angel departed from her. Now, this is not in my notes. But when the same angel came to, Gabe, came to John, same angel came to John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, and said, hey, guess what? Your super old wife, who could never have babies, is about to have one. And his response was, yeah, whatever, prove that. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll prove it. You're not going to speak for nine months. And then he left. But when he left Mary, he was just like, wow, all right. Let it be to me according to your word. Mm. Fear's a horrible way to live, guys, because it'll cause you to question the love of Christ. It'll cause you to withdraw from the body of Christ. That's what they did. The disciples, they got up to the, probably the front of the boat and said, <gasps> um, but Mary, mm, she just responded, faith will bring you safe and sound out of a storm. The faith that came at Christmas, guys, the 700-year-old fulfillment that brings faith to us. Um, there was a, this centurion, you know the story about this Roman centurion guy who comes to Jesus. No, 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 no. I'm getting ahead of myself. Stay with the board. Stay with the notes. All right. So Jesus, he's on his way. And a lady who's super sick, right? She comes. She says, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be fine. And, uh, and so she sneaks through the crowd she touches the hem of the garment, and Jesus goes, who touched me? And they're all looking at him like, what, are you dumb? Do you see a crowd? It's there. Everybody touched you. He said, oh, no, no, no. Somebody touched me different. Somebody touched me in faith. And he turned around, and he saw her. And look at what he said. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now that stumped me for a second. Because like, why did he say that twice? Because we always say, did you help you get well soon? <laughs> right? Get well. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed of your disease. And then I looked up what well means. 
in the original Greek language. <laughs> um, well, ready for this? This blew my mind. Well means to be brought safe and sound out of a difficult situation, out of a storm. He said, daughter, your faith has brought you out of a storm, out of a difficult situation. Go and be healed. But the faith is what he responded and remarked about. Jesus marvels at faith, guys. He does. And there's two instances where he does this that really stump me or cause me to go, oh, I don't want to be. Oh, I want to be. I mean, you can either be the one or you can be the other. So are you ready for this? So there's this word for marvel in the Greek. And uh, at one point in Acts, they're recounting Moses when Moses saw the burning bush, right? And in, in Acts, when they rewrite it again and say, hey, Moses saw the bush, he marveled at the sight. And he drew near to look, and there came the voice of the Lord. But then there's this time when Jesus marveled, using the same word, when he went to Nazareth, to his hometown, the hometown crew. And Matthew 6, 5 through 6 says, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching. Mm. He was hanging out with the this group. The this is how I grew up crowd. This is my tradition crowd. This is how it's supposed to work crowd. And they looked at Jesus and said, no, 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 no. You're not who you think you are. We know who you are. This is how it's supposed to go. And he, was, he just marveled at their unbelief because he stood there in front of them. They, of all people, saw him grow up sinless and said, eh, this guy, whatever. Yeah. Um, they were religious and missed the Savior. Hometown crowd. Mm-mm-mm. But then there's another time that Jesus marvels. Same word again. He marveled at the centurion. Now I finally get to do the centurion. Whew. Get to the centurion guy. Centurion, he's like, hey, my servant is really sick. Can, can you take care of him? And Jesus said, yeah, let me come on. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Who you see Jesus as, guys, the hometown guy that does whatever you tell him or acts how you think he should act? Or do you see him as the sovereign creator of the universe 
who says, go, come, peace, be still. How do you see him at Christmas? Sweet little baby in a manger? Or the light of the world that spoke light into existence? Said, let there be light, and then turned around and said, I am the light of the world. He who walks in darkness. Whew. So, ah, Jesus, your faith. I hope this Christmas your faith will be strengthened, that it will grow, that it will become like Matthew, that he will go 700 years, it's finally here, that you'll be like the guys in the boat and go, oh, who is this guy? Yeah, this is the guy we serve. This is the guy. This is the guy that we celebrate at Christmas. Love all the lights. That reminds me of the light of the world. But it really matters a lot who you worship. Do you worship the Prince of Peace? Or do you just have some kind of wishful thinking about a guy that you think you know? I don't know. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By it, faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen has not been made out of things that are visible. Um, your faith in the God who is zealous to see his kingdom advance, right? That guy, mm, I hope that's the guy that, that you're looking at. Every time you see a child look with awe and wonder, consider yourself blessed because it's a reminder to you to look at the light of the world. I mean, my little grandson who's 18 months, 21 months, 22, I don't know, ooh, yikes, uh, almost a two. I mean, when they set up their Christmas tree this year, they're sending me pictures and he's just looking at it like, oh, you know, and yet the light of the world has come to you. Look at it with wonder. Let a little children, let the little children cause you to wonder. Jesus said it, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts has brought us endless peace, upheld by his justice and righteousness forever. What is your response to a child born in a manger? At least this morning, we're going to take time to, to celebrate the one who was born, lived a sinless life, died, was buried, rose again, so that we could have peace and enjoy Christmas like it should be enjoyed, right? Mm. And marvel at the one who came to give us light and to give us the light and the life of men. Yeah, so um, the way we do communion here is uh, you just come when you feel like it and dip some bread in the cup and to remember Jesus broke his body for us, shed his blood for us so that we would have eternal life.
If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know eternal life, mm, come talk to me and I will tell you. My prayer is that your faith purchased by the zeal of the Lord will cause Jesus to marvel this Christmas because it's worth marveling about. Um, if you're gluten-free, there's a gluten-free option at the back. If you just want regular old gluten-full, it's up here. Um, take your pick, and uh, let's just take a moment. Uh, let me pray for us, and while the band leads us, come as you feel like it. Lord Jesus, thank you that your faith, the faith that you purchased for us, faithfulness is ours in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word that shows how what you say comes true and that you're worth depending on in our storms. God, and I pray for, for people in storms now uh, in this room who may hear this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that they will they will see you on the cushion. Lord, and instead of paddling harder, they will just pray, talk to you, allow you to bring peace, to speak peace into their hearts. Help us, God, to be prayers and not paddlers. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tables are open. His name.